Hello, dear listener. Gabe here. Just wanted to uh, get in before the episode started and say that I do apologize for the clicking in the audio. I am not sure what caused it, and I do apologize if it is distracting. Unfortunately, I could not clean it up during the editing process, but uh, just wanted to let you guys know we're aware of it, and hopefully next time we record, we'll be able to solve the issue. But uh, that out of the way, let us get into Madeira. Hello, and welcome to Laid Back Lush, a little podcast where we talk about wine, beer, and spirits. I'm Michael, a former wine sales associate and vineyard worker. And I am Gabe. I am WSET Level 3 Certified in Wine, and I'm an administrator for a wine spirits educating body. And today we're going to be talking about uh, a new passion of mine, uh, and apparently something... (laughs) Very recently uh, discovered. Very recently discovered, like maybe an hour ago, and that is Madeira. Yes. Uh, Apparently this is something that Gabe has had many times before. Well, Um, like a handful. Like a handful of times. Uh, It's not a common drink for me. My budget does not allow (laughs) for that. Yeah, this this stuff does tend to be a bit pricier for you guys. So for our value brand guys or our uh, our lower price point peoples, don't feel like you have to, but it is definitely worth the investment. I would say so. Yeah. So what is Madeira? Well, Madeira is a fortified wine named after the island on which it is grown called Madeira. It is exposed to repeated and sustained heating, which causes it to have notes of roasted nuts, stewed fruits, caramel, toffee walnut oil, hazelnut, all sorts of just really unique kind of tertiary notes that end up taking the forefront as primary in this. They are either dry or sweet, typically served chilled for starters for your dry wines or after dinner for your sweets as an aperitif. They also... Desertif. Desertif for after dinner. Aperitif is before dinner. That's right. Yes. You are correct. So we'll be talking about the location, the history, production styles, and the grapes themselves, as well as a little bit of trivia here and there, as well as uses. So to get us started out, where is Madeira? Well, Madeira is off the coast of Portugal. Portuguese Autonomous Region of Madeira is the, uh, I believe, legal name for it. It is an island, yes, but it's technically an archipelago. If you don't know what an archipelago is, that just means it's a group of islands. You can probably deduce that this is going to be overall a maritime climate. It's going to be hot. Well, warm to hot, uh, mostly hot for grape growing, at least. We are going to have very high rainfall here. There is a high risk of rot, notably powdery mildew and noble rot and or botrytis. If you are familiar with botrytized wine and you heard Michael earlier say the sweet wines of Madeira, that is not how sweet wines are made here they don't use noble rod mm-hmm. for anything noble rod is undesirable here it's not part of their production so but we'll get um, more into production a little bit later yeah but um, just to make that clear when you hear noble rot in madeira that's a problem not a feature this island is also split in half by a group of mountains the mountain range gets to about 6109 feet in altitude with its highest peak at pico ruivo it is considered, I believe, subtropical mm-hmm, uh, it is, yeah. in total, but the northern side of the island, which uh, it's separated north and south by that mountain range, is typically going to be a little cooler, a little wetter, and the southern side is going to be a little drier, uh, a little hotter, Yeah, which allows for something I think is wonderful. They use a form of irrigation called levadas. They've had those for around 400 years, they've, they've had them, and it's 1,350 miles of aqueducts 
that bring that water down from the mountain into the various growing places. If any travel agents listen to the show, we would love to book a trip with you to yeah. visit them. Yeah, they they have like a bunch of different hikes. There's one called uh, Lavada do Caldeira uh, Verde, uh, and it ends at Lavada Caldeira called i do not know how to pronounce these we don't see portuguese let's yeah. let's get that out of the way uh, do inferno <laughs> and apparently like you need to go through tunnels where you need like flashlights and helmets and uh there are That's other places yeah tour. and then you can also get vertigo and, and uh but they also do have some other places that are uh easier with acacia trees and it's it looks beautiful i i really would love to go the soil itself though uh is volcanic yes um so it's acidic very rich in in minerals iron phosphor but it's very poor in potassium and that acidity is going to be very important later yeah. on anything else on um on the geography of the place uh just that instead of the standard vsp pruning which is vertical shoot positioning that is used in a lot of vineyards around the world we instead get trellising in Madeira to help combat the rot issue. Oh, yeah. So it's it's yeah. allowing for the that wind to kind of exactly yeah rush through that area and kind of clean off the grapes. Yep, allows the grapes to breathe, not risk all that humidity getting trapped in there. Um, the vineyards also uh, so those aqueducts that Mike was talking about typically will kind of run parallel to terraces mm. or uh, as they're called here, poyos. And these are where our vineyards are primarily going to be planted. And they're pretty steep. Madeira wines overall are quite labor intensive. Um, so, you know, hand harvesting, a lot of stuff on these steep terraces. Which probably contributes to the price as well. Yes. So how was this particular island found and what makes it so unique? So when Portugal was doing a little bit of colonialism back during the age of discovery, um, just a little bit of colonialism, just a little bit of colonialism, yeah. just a, just a smidge, just, just a, smidge. a touch, you know, yeah. they only really got into Brazil. Part of <laughs> your balanced breakfast. <laughs> um, we do not condone colonialism. <laughs> just a disclaimer. It's a European dish. Uh, <laughs> well, here in the United States, we're not super uh, foreign to the concept either. But anyway, but we are a European dish. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, yeah. You and I are at exactly. least. <laughs> so, <laughs> sorry, off the rails already. <laughs> Woo! Okay. Okay. All right. So during the age of exploration, when Portugal was kind of going out and exploring, Madeira was a very heavy trade port, heavily trafficked trade port. Mm, mm. Um, the whole archipelago was, but primarily the island of Madeira itself. That obviously brought in a lot of you know capital and wealth to the island. And so by the 16th century, Madeira had developed a pretty solid wine industry. Now, do you and, know if any grapes are grown in Porto Santo? Because I know we're looking at four islands. Yeah, there to... are grapes grown on Porto Santo. Oh, there yeah. are. Mm -hmm. I didn't know that. It's not as much as the island of Madeira itself, but there are some, yeah. Because then we also have the Desertas and the Salvagains, mm -hmm. if, if that's how you pronounce it. Please, sure. if you do know how to pronounce <laughs> these things, uh, you can slide into our DMs at Laidback Lush on both Instagram and Twitter. So with both of these islands, Madeira and Porto Santo, being used as this stop, what factors ended up creating this unique expression? So during the Age of Discovery, which uh, I've got to mention was the 15th through the 17th centuries, one of the big things that was a big factor in this was sea voyaging, right? Mm -hmm. So when Madeira developed its wine industry, they started shipping their wines. Now being on a hot 
humid boat in a huge barrel. You know, if you know what barrels do to wine, even under cooler, more stable conditions, that wine will oxidize. This process, this repeated exposure to all this heat, this humidity, really damaged the wine. It cooked it, essentially. Mm. So it would spoil in the barrels and it would actually get sent back to Portugal. And then the winemakers had this idea and they said, well, what if we added a neutral spirit to this to fortify it? Because Port had already been fortifying their wines for a while at this point. And they kind of learned that from them of, hey, if we fortify this, it'll last better. Now, at the time, it was a neutral spirit made from sugar. Now it is brandy that's used. And this would help the wine actually be able to survive the voyage. However, obviously, this process of heat is still happening. So the wines would still get heavily oxidized. They would still become brown in color. But because of the fortification process and it keeping the wine from actually spoiling, customers began to prefer this style of wine. Oh, wow. So the actual hardship of the heat of the ocean, the heat of those cabins, the storage area inside of those boats actually became the feature. Yes. That's fascinating. And then eventually, and we'll get into this more in the production process, that led to the winemakers on Madeira essentially replicating this process on the island itself. I see in your notes that apparently there ended up being quite an impact that Madeira made on history itself. Yes. Uh, It was not just a drink of choice, but it ended up actually uh, moving some, some events. Yes. So... One of the customers that really enjoyed this style of wine was the Founding Fathers. And Americans actually overall really liked, well, technically at the time, the British colonies really liked Madeira. So there was an incident that kind of helped spark some revolutionary sentiment in Boston, where John Hancock's ship, the Liberty, was seized by the British over import taxes of some Madeira casks that he was trying to bring in. I believe it was 21 casks or something like that. And that was, you know, not good. And yeah, incited a riot in Boston. You you don't stop Americans from drinking. No, no, you do not. If prohibition taught us anything. <laughs> yeah, it's just not a thing you can do. But also, uh, so to further kind of cement the revolutionary status of Madeira in the United States, Madeira is what was used to toast to the signing of the Declaration of Independence. That is just fantastic. Yes. I just I love that so much. So for those of you who uh, claim to be patriots or anything like that, just know that the most patriotic drink is actually Madeira. Yes. It's the... an import. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing more American than bringing in someone else's culture to substitute for your own. <laughs> Oh, I wonder if I'll Down keep Cape. I Down wonder Cape. if I'll keep that one in. We'll see. We'll see. It depends on how spicy we're feeling after the blood moon tonight. <laughs> and it's my birthday, so you know I get to do whatever I want. Yeah, you get to have one hot take. On your one birthday. hot take. Yes, just one. Just one. So, um, unfortunately, though, this was kind of at the height of Madeira's um, popularity. All the things that I just spoke on. This kind of declined. If you don't know about the phylloxera epidemic of vines in Europe, essentially there's a root louse called phylloxera that lives in the United States in our soils, and our rootstocks are able to 
yeah. you know, keep it out. They're, they're completely resistant to it yeah. because it turns out that when systems develop on their own, they actually find balance. Yes. It's only when we start moving things around a lot that they get out of that balance. And moving around grapevines, particularly grapevines from, I believe it was California to France, caused nearly like all the vineyards to be wiped out across Europe. It, it, it was bad. Yeah. Because we didn't really have the technology to know fully what was going on for a while before we found out it was this root louse. And then we started grafting onto American uh, rootstock. We should do an episode on the phylloxera. Yeah, we really should. Because it's very important to wine history. But um, saying all that to say, the phylloxera epidemic really hit Madeira pretty hard, caused widespread damage to the vineyards on the island. And that was coupled with the fact that with voyaging becoming less popular and with the development of different forms of um, transit for, for goods like, you know, trains and whatnot, Madeira's popularity really began to decline. It wasn't a port city really anymore. It wasn't this trade hub that it used to be. And so the wine quality suffered as part of that. And it began to be more known as a cooking wine. Mm. Now, that is still kind of the case today. Um, in fact, I believe it's Finland and Switzerland and Germany primarily buy Madeira for cooking rather than drinking. But in different markets, like in the U.S. market, a lot more of it is for drinking. Now, this was kind of helped to be revived in more recent decades. The, uh, the wine industry was helped to be revived by a man named Bartholomew Broadbent. If you have not seen Broadbent, they do sell Madeira. I believe they do port as well, if I remember correctly. I could be wrong on that. We actually have an office for Broadbent here in Richmond, fun fact. And um, he was asked by the governing body of Madeira Wines to help revive the American market in particular. They do. Broadbent does sell port. Oh, okay. Yes. Thank so, you. Yeah. And the power of the internet. The, the palm of, of my hand. <laughs> so uh, Broadbent was able to pull some magic and really help revive the market for Madeira in the United States. It has been a successful venture overall. Madeira has made somewhat of a comeback, but it's still not really anywhere near that peak level it was at mm -hmm. back in the kind of 16th, 17th century. So we've seen this go from being the common punch bowl at parties in the age of exploration to going into more of a, a back burner role mm -hmm. after phylloxera and then finally getting some more steam behind it in recent history, uh, as yeah. well as being used for cocktails. I believe it was in the Americas that we, we started seeing a lot of this being used just for basic cocktails, mm -hmm. and, uh, like sours, that sort of thing. Yeah. So with that, though, maybe we can understand Madeira a bit better if we understand how they took that historical way of the casks being heated in the bows of ships how has that then been transferred into practice that was brought onto land by madeira winemakers as i said and they basically historically built these big facilities uh, they were basically just big warehouses and mm -hmm. they would have these huge barrels and they would allow them to sit and cook essentially in the heat a lot of them even allow like a, just a ton of sunlight so there's also sunlight oh, wow. at play there and that is actually still how a lot of high quality madeiras are made today in fact the one that we're drinking right now is likely made with this method so we have a lot of now modern practices let's get into that what yeah uh, so what would be the closest to the uh, original method of producing madeira wines so that would be the cantiero method 
which is basically uh, what it has been historically for the most part. It is aged without any artificial heat. These are wines that are going to be after they are made as wine. Well, actually, uh, let's step back a little bit. So uh, you mentioned Madeira is a fortified wine. If you don't know what a fortified wine is, basically a wine is made and a spirit is added to the wine to stop the fermentation or to increase the ABV or both. And we talked about this in our sherry episode. Yes. Madeira can, as Michael said, be on a spectrum from dry all the way to sweet. We'll get into the different styles here in a second. But the fortification process is what determines the sweetness when that spirit is introduced, right? So, um, okay. So, it, just to further explain that, so we we have alcohol being added to stop fermentation. The alcohol, uh, just as a real quick thing, the alcohol is coming from the sugars that are inside of the grapes themselves. Mm-hmm. So, when he says that the sweetness level is determined by when that spirit is added, literally, they have to either wait until all of these sugars fermented into alcohol in order to make it a dry style, or they just cut it off really quick Correct. Yeah. with that alcohol in order to allow it to become sweet. Yes. So that's how you determine your sweetness level. And after the fortification is then when we will send our wines off to the aging. So back to Cantiero. As I mentioned, this is aged without any artificial heat, large casks, about 300 to 650 liters. So these are these are big. And these are going to be stored by the winery in a heated room, uh, that kind of warehouse style. These are called estufas. Actually, this whole process of making Madeira, this also includes the more artificial methods. It's called the estufagem process. Mm. If people say that process, they're just kind of referring to how Madeira is made overall. These rooms can be heated in terms of like the room itself might have some heaters in Uh, When I say artificial heat, I'm referring more to like Cuba de Calor method, Yeah, um, but we'll get into that here in a second. And the rooms Um, uh, typically can reach up to around 86 Fahrenheit or 30 Celsius for those of us who are using the metrics. Yes. And some of these are also, though, exclusively heated with solar. So it kind of just depends on how rustic you are. These can age for up to a century in these huge leaders in these estufas. It's obviously dependent on your capacity how often you need to sell wine and mm-hmm. if you know you want to even go up to a century to begin with but you, these wines are very long-lived these are some of the most long-lived wines in the world the overall profile of this method is going to leave you with a very nutty oxidized caramelized dried fruit character which then, is just beautiful <laughs> yeah just, it's so beautiful yeah we've been really sipping is. on this wine for what close to an hour now mm-hmm. maybe yeah and it's it's just it's amazing every time I get a whiff of it. Yes. I would love to be able to visit one of those lodges, mm-hmm. but uh, definitely only for a second because yeah. 86 Fahrenheit and 90% humidity is a lot. Yeah, if I have a fan, maybe I can... <laughs> like uh, a personal fan. Yeah, the little person with a little spritzer on it. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's the way to go, I think. <laughs> like a true tourist. Yeah, with your uh, tan, your tan um, baseball cap. Mm, I was about to say, I don't tan anything because yeah. I'm redhead. No, no, no. Yeah, no, no, my no. baseball cap can definitely be tan. Yeah, yeah. it's like a magnolia color yeah. or beige. Mm-hmm. I yeah. like it. It's the way to go. <laughs> so we do have a few other methods of production. So we have our Cuba de Calor. Uh, this is going to be the most common form of uh, making Madeira. It's going to be used for a lot of your cheaper Madeiras, your rainwaters, um, your reserve Madeiras, which might sound kind of weird, but bear with me. We'll get to the labeling terms in a second. This is going to be 
Typically, stainless steel, but concrete is also used. Uh, tanks with heat coils or some kind of piping with hot water that will circulate heat around the container. That's what I meant by artificial heating. Yeah. So these can be heated up to temperatures as high as 130 degrees Fahrenheit or 55 Celsius. Usually that will last for about three months. So what this does is it just kind of creates that Contiero method, but in a much more condensed and short amount of time. They're mostly heated, though, to around 115 degrees Fahrenheit or 46 degrees Celsius. Still, obviously, quite high for, um, you know, wine. But yeah. that's the whole point. You're, you're cooking the wine, right? This is going to lead to less complexity. It's not going to be quite as dense because you don't necessarily have that oxygenation at play from the barrels as well. Which, to be clear, doesn't impart a lot to Madeira in the Contiero method. Um, it's more just for that oxygenation that allows for some more development of aroma characteristics. It helps thicken it up a little bit, not for the oak flavors themselves, necessarily. Yeah. Then we have the uh, Armazem de Calor method, which is used by the Madeira Wine Company, I believe exclusively. I'm not sure if any other producers are doing this, but you might see this on a bottle, which is why I included it. This is where you store wines in large wooden casks in a room that has these uh, steam-producing tanks. Or, again, they can use pipes that heat the room, and it essentially creates a, a sauna. That so sounds so expensive. It sounds expensive, but, I mean, when you think about it, though, is it cheaper to have more high-tech equipment that frees up your stock quicker so you can sell more wine overall? That's, That's the trade-off with these methods, yeah. That's why this method was introduced, because it's kind of replicating the Contiero. Like, it's a little bit less artificial than these, you know, stainless steel tanks with these coils on them. But it's still an artificial way of creating that environment. Hmm. So, it's kind of a, it, it's a unique balance between modern technology and yeah. the traditional methods. Exactly. So this is going to be more gentle than the Cuba de Calor method, as I just mentioned. Um, not still on the same level as the Contiero method, but it's kind of a, a go-between, I guess you could say, a compromise in a way. And these are typically going to be aged for six months to a year if they're using this method. Mm -hmm. That's fascinating. So we have these different methods that are being done. You mentioned the fact that you kind of have your highest quality, your medium quality, and then your, your kind of cooking quality for your various productions types. How would we navigate that on a wine label if I were to go to a shop and I'm trying to find uh, a good cooking uh, Madeira or I'm trying to find a good drinking Madeira. Mm -hmm. uh, how would I navigate some of those labels? So for us here in the United States, we have what's called rainwater Madeira. I don't know if this is sold exclusively in the United States, but this was primarily developed for the United States market. This is... I believe it's aged for about three years, three to five years, if I remember correctly. And this is a non-vintage. This is a non-vintage. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, this is going to be a lighter, off-dry kind of style, similar to Verdello sweetness, which we'll get into Verdello here soon. This is mainly for cooking. You can drink it just on its own. That is a possibility, but it's meant to be more of a cooking wine. Mm. And uh, it's my understanding that this also has primarily Tinta Negromon. We'll get more into the, mm -hmm. the grapes later, so that'll make more sense uh, when, when we get to our next section here. Correct, yeah. So we have that kind of primarily Tinta Negromon. What's our, what's our next labeling term here? 
So then we move up to our reserve. Madeiras, these are going to be aged for five years. So this is, uh, I know we've kind of ripped on reserve as a labeling term in the past. Here in Madeira, reserve is actually legally defined. So this actually does mean something. So five years, again, minimum aging requirement for this. Um, and this is where you can start having your varietally labeled Madeiras, which are going to be uh, Sarasol, Verdello, Boal, Malvasia, and then maybe Tarantes, but we'll get into that here in a second. So that is going to be your reserve. Then we move on to special reserve, which is going to just bump up that aging requirement to 10 years. So this is primarily where these uh, estufas rooms are coming in, that Contiero method. Your reserve wines are typically not going to be, I'm going to say they're going to be kind of on a similar quality level to rainwater. That's not to say that they're bad and they're like a, they're a step up from rainwater, but these I think would still be primarily used for very easy sipping or cocktails or cooking for me. So for for the last few, those would probably have been under the Cuba de Calor method. Yes. Uh, whereas this one, it's my understanding that this one may be um, done through the Cantiero method. Mm -hmm. Usually will be Usually at, at this be. age, because if you're going to go for this long, you might as well just yeah. go for that. Yeah. It's yeah. also often a single variety, if I'm not mistaken. Correct. Yeah. So if it is that step up, uh, does it have any unique uses? Is this also just for cooking or, or could we also use this for, for drinking? This is where I would start to say, if you're going to use a 10-year Madeira to cook, you're probably rich or mm. foolish. <laughs> <laughs> One of the two. One of the two. Or hey, maybe even both. I don't know. But the 10-year is where you really start to get into the really solid quality Madeira wines for drinking. And that is primarily what I would use them for. Based off your sweetness levels, apertifs and desertifs are up to you. But yeah, this is where I would say this is where you start drinking it straight. So would this also be considered uh, one of the sweeter styles as well? Not necessarily, because that depends on the grape. Mm, I see. Yes. Okay, so this can... This can still be anything. We're still just talking about quality levels, here, mm -hmm. essentially. Yeah. Then we have extra reserve, which is, again, minimum 15 years. For extra reserve, though, commonly you're going to see minimum 20 years, but legally it's 15. But in terms of practice, 20 years up to a century, again, is how long these widens can go for. Mm. It is just so amazing to think about 10 years in a yeah. bottle. Now, the... If you're going for like that 20 and above, typically you're going to then also either do it as a vintage or producing uh, colheta. So colheta or harvest Madeiras are a single vintage Madeira. So this is our first vintage wine. And it's going to be aged for a shorter period than a full vintage Madeira. So this will have a minimum five year of, of aging, legally speaking. But again, typically you're going to be seeing around 20 for it and they might or might not, the bottles themselves, have the vintage date with Colheta on mm. the label. Then we have our Frasquiera, or vintage, which is a minimum 20 years overall, technically. So minimum 19 years in the casks, minimum one year in the bottle to mature. So this, again, is our vintage, pure vintage, kind of like Colheta. Vintage will not be on the label, however. Frasquiera will be the term that's on the label because 
of the term vintage being used by port already. Mm. So that's already a legally protected class under Portuguese wine laws. Then we have going back down actually in quality, we have our finest wines, which is very ironic because these are kind of some of the cheapest Madeiras that you can get. These are aged for a minimum of three years, but they're pretty much exclusively cooking wines. Mm. So if you see finest on a Madeira, that isn't the top. That's the bottom, ironically enough. Interesting. And these, again, will have no vintage on them, correct? Correct. Yeah. These are not vintage wines. Yeah. And then uh, the single harvest is uh, a term, again, from the Madeira Wine Company. Wanted to include it just in case you see it on a label. And this is going to be a 5 to 10 year aged vintage Madeira wine. Did you ever look at Solera? I know that they do have Solera systems in Madeira. Uh, mm-hmm. Listen to our Sherry episode if you want to learn more about what that is. I didn't include it in the notes here because I have never seen a Solera Madeira. Neither have I. Um, they're I... very rare, but they do exist. Yeah. So for those of you who don't know what that means, is it, it's basically multiple vintages Correct. that they will blend in. I wasn't able to find any, but it was in all of the documents that I was able to find on Madeira. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if you do happen to know of a Solera-style Madeira, please message us at Laidback Lush on both Instagram and Twitter because I would I would love to see what that's like. Yeah. That would be like the champagne of Madeira. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful comparison. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, it's always got to go back to Bubbles for me. Uh, yeah. Uh, Captain Bubbles over Captain here is steering Bubbles. us right back towards champagne. Uh, I mean, we need to do another champagne episode. <laughs> another champagne episode. Another uh, champagne episode. Not even like a Kava episode or a Prosecco episode. No, just, just champagne. Just no, champagne. I, actually, I would love to do a Kava episode. I would too. That'd be fun. Oh. We should do a Kava episode. Yeah, that would be incredible. So now we know a bit about the production, how the grapes are going to be handled. We also know how these will be expressed on the shelves. Let's talk about the the stars here. Let's talk about some of these grapes. Yes. Uh, so on this little island, what grapes are we using in order to achieve these wonderful, amazing, rich wines? Before I, I fully get into the grapes themselves, I just wanted to say, I know I just said a couple minutes ago, the grapes are what determine the sweetness of Madeira. I save the grapes for last because I feel like if you understand the labeling terms, this will make a little bit more sense. So we have our workhorse grapes, as they're called, in Madeira. These are going to be used for pretty much the majority of all production. So for our finest, they will be used in rainwater as well. Anything that's basically not like varietally labeled as Madeira will probably be these grapes. Both of them are red. It is going to be Tinta Negra Mole or Tinta Negra or Negra Mole. You will see all three of those potentially on a label if you see it on the label at all. But that is just one grape. Mm -hmm. This makes up for about 85% of Madeira production. Which is also like, I think they have 978 acres Mm -hmm. of just that. Yeah, it's hugely popular and then we also have another grape called complexa which is still very widely used but just not quite on the scale of uh, negra mole it's a little bit less complex and a little less tannic if i remember correctly so it's just um it doesn't quite offer as much to a madeira now then we move on to our noble varieties and Mm. these are going to be the ones that primarily determine our sweetness all right So these are arranged in least sweet and or driest down to fully sweet, right? Yeah. So all of these also will have 
high acid. They are white grapes. Uh, you mentioned those volcanic soils are very important for keeping the acid, particularly for sweet wines. As we've said before, acid is absolutely key. Yeah. Because if you don't have acid, it will taste like syrup. Yeah. Well, and also, um, apart from just balancing the flavors of the wine itself, it also is key in allowing these wines to be so survivable. Yeah. You can open up a bottle of some of this stuff and just recap it and it will it'll last for mm -hmm. a solid month if not a year yeah and you can just keep them for i mean some of these are are can be not aged in bottle uh they they don't quite work that way but they can be kept in bottles for up to a century yes mm -hmm. yeah they'll keep for a very long time yeah and that's because of you know high alcohol but also high acid yeah it's very important yes so from again driest to sweetest we start with sersol this is going to be dry. It's going to typically also have the lightest color of mm -hmm. all of these grapes. Yeah, it's like, it, and I think it, it starts like super pale in its growing pros, uh, process. Yes. Uh, and then it turns to like a slight amber. Mm -hmm. So this is going to give you kind of like nutty, but more like light nuts. So like almond or um, maybe like cashew or something. Peachy aromas. There's some floral aromas that might come. This is... I wouldn't say this is the lightest style because I wouldn't really describe any Madeira as light, mm -hmm. but this is probably the most um, clean style, I guess, for lack of a better mm -hmm. way of putting it out of Madeiras. Then we move on to actually what we're drinking, but we'll get into uh, tasting here at the end, uh, Verdello. This is going to be at least off dry, typically medium dry, which is kind of the in-between dry and sweet, fully sweet. Yeah. This commonly will have some smoky notes in it, some honey. Um, you will also find some dried fruits in here, but this one is a little bit more on the earthy side of things, yeah, the it's, more it's minerally bit, side of things. Yeah, it's like a bit more mellow mm -hmm. and minerally. So yes. I've, I've even seen uh, descriptions of lemon, cucumber, mm -hmm. hay. And this one will also have the lowest acidity out of all of the noble varieties. Mm. I hear that this one is actually really good with ham. Or that, seafood bisque. That would actually, yeah, that, that sounds like a very good pairing. And just to let you guys know, so the Circeal only has 69 acres on the island. The Verdelo is only 106 acres. So this is this is a fairly exclusive group. Yes. This, this little bit of noble. Yes. Uh, these noble varieties. Growing, thankfully, due to the market kind of surging. But yeah, yeah still quite, quite limited. Then we move on to Boal or Boal. Uh, I know that probably sounds like I'm saying the same thing, but one of them is spelled B-U-A-L and the other is B-O-A-L. So this is going to be at least medium sweet. Again, often a little bit sweeter than that. This is going to be much darker in color. This is going to have raisin notes. It's going to have vanilla. It's going to have, if I'm remembering, I did a course a while back in 2020 on Madeira. And the one that I had in that course had a very... um heavy floral aroma but like really? dark floral so kind of like hawthorn mm. um not rose but like that kind of like hawthorn i'm trying to think there's a couple other flowers in that family where it's that very like kind of almost potpourri style mm. of floral oh wow so it's, that's that sounds incredibly pungent yes uh these are these are intense wines um that makes really sense. nice really because nice i saw uh notes like cinnamon grams roasted coffee um but if you're also talking about that intense floral notes uh, i can see why they said that even like dried fruit and hard cheeses would go pretty well with these yeah then we move on to malvasia or malmsey 
These are going to be fully sweet. These are pretty universally defined as dessert wines. They're going to have coffee, toffee, caramel. They can even be almost like a little bit creamy in a way. Mm. Um, Not like dairy creamy, but just that rich texture with that caramel kind of gives almost like a butterscotch impression, at least to me, the ones that I've tried. Love this stuff. It's incredible. Would highly recommend. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, apparently you should pair that with fruitcake, chocolate, or coffee desserts. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is one of those ones that can possibly age for centuries because of yes. its high acidity. Yes. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that it's, it's grown on the southern half of the island, so it's just a lot warmer. Yeah. Uh, warmer in that area. Then we have the kind of lost noble variety. This got nearly wiped out by phylloxera. It almost went extinct, but it was brought back. And it's making a return. The plantings are growing, but it's still exceedingly rare. This is going to be Tarantes, not to be confused with Torantes, which is a grape that is primarily grown. um, I actually believe it was from Portugal, but it's primarily grown in Argentina now. So don't confuse Tarantes and Torantes because they're two completely different wines. This is going to be considered, again, our fifth uh, noble grape. It can be dry all the way up to fully sweet. This one runs a full gamut, so this is kind of the exception. All these other grapes, as I mentioned, that sweetness level is a style that's considered best for the grape. So whenever you get that grape, it will always be about that sweetness. Mm. This is interesting. Uh, it's it's also kind of like a, a romantic thing with you know the lost noble grape taking taking some uh, land back, as it were. Apparently, they have super low yields at the same time, though. Mm-hmm. So it, even if you do have some acreage on this, it's not going to be producing a whole lot of uh, of product. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so the one that we're having, again, is that Verdello. And I definitely am getting a bit of that uh, more like dried fruits, but it's it's very, very well balanced. Yeah. Um, I would say that there's a good deal of chocolate to it as well, but we'll get more into that. I believe Michael wanted to share some cooking and cocktail tips with yeah. you guys. Like I said, this has been used for a lot of cocktails. Uh, there is something called the Madeira Punch, which is just a punch that's made with Madeira. It's apparently very good, what? though. Yeah. What? It's just you don't a say. punch. Yeah. So you. It's crazy. Uh, what it does is it imparts that more chocolatey, rich flavor to things. So it's a great way of bringing more depth to your cocktail if you're looking for something like that. Now, are we talking like. Hawaiian punch punch or are we talking about an actual like, no like a punch bowl punch okay. um I believe the one that I have written down is called the Amen Rockley the other one that I was looking at was called the Madeira flip which was created in the 1800s you just mix sugar a whole egg and you are mixing that all together it's shaking it up so it's essentially just your your regular sour but with Madeira fantastic concept i would love to be able to try this soon yeah the recipe that i found though called for four quail Quail eggs eggs. (laughs) instead of the one chicken egg which i was thinking you know that's that's very pretentious but also i really want to try it so um, (laughs) now i'm looking for where to buy quail eggs so that i can make the cutest cocktail (laughs) um there's also the sherry cobbler um but the sherry can be replaced with madeira and apparently that's also very good it's just madeira sugar and citrus Ooh, um, that would be very good because yeah. Madeira already has a bit of a citrusy thing going on. They're white grapes. So you would just have that in order to uh, complement it. It was actually super popularized by Charles Dickens. 
Huh. Um, he, he had this whole thing where uh, in his book... Please, sir, may I please have some more Madeira? <laughs> no, it was... Um, he... Me mum, she used to let me sip on it when I was but a wee babe. <laughs> in order to get me to shut up and go to sleep. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's terrible. Don't drug your kids. The Life and Adventures of Martin Chuzzlewit was, was the thing. And literally, I actually have it quoted because it, it was so fantastic. It's like, Martin took the glass with an astonished look applied his lips to the reed, and cast up his eyes once in ecstasy. <laughs> I was just like, whew, that is over the top, my guy. He paused no more until the goblet was drained to the last drop. <laughs> this wonderful invention, sir, said Mark, tenderly patting the empty glass, is called a cobbler. Sherry cobbler when you name it long, cobbler when you name it short. <laughs> I'm like no wonder like if, if ever can we start describing cocktails like that yes when we go to the jasper next can we be like oh this wonderful drink called the caribbean queen really excites the senses it draws you in and it grips you and it kisses you passionately <laughs> <laughs> but no we should totally do that anytime that we do a review for a place I want them to blush when they hear our description of it. And then block us. And then block us. <laughs> oh, dear. Um, so uh, that being said, that's just a little bit of the cocktails that you can use for it. But you can also use this for cooking. Uh, so it's a rich, complex, layered character to this stuff. It's very good for deglazing, reducing sauces, adding to salad dressings, that sort of thing. Pairing this with mushrooms in particular, though. that uh, When you said that earlier, I was like, ooh, that sounds yeah. so good. Like, I'm just thinking your morels, your chanterelles, chicken mm. of the woods, um, a lot more of your uh, wild varieties. Your heartier, meatier mushrooms. Yeah, I don't particularly like portobellos myself. I, I They taste fantastic, but they're not necessarily the best for you. Mm-hmm. But like oyster mushrooms, anything like that, it's able to just get that mycelial type of aromas and flavors. And I, I can imagine it just causing so much richness yeah. for that. So it can be used in order to saute mushrooms. Uh, you can also get some little bit of like sweetness, a little bit of smoke if you use it with like butternut squash or turnips. And it's apparently really good uh, if you mix it with like chicken or vegetable stock. So Ooh. yeah. Ooh, can you imagine like chicken marsala, but with Madeira? Oh. See, you know what I'm actually thinking? And when I say this, this could either be really good or really bad. Ramen with Madeira. If it were that like pork based broth, I don't remember shoyu, I think. Mm-hmm. If it were shoyu based ramen, that I could see being very good. Yeah. Well, unless you had anything else, why don't we uh, why don't we get into what we're drinking now? Yeah, um, give you guys a, a concrete example of how incredible this stuff can be. No, it is so unique. I, I cannot overstate how unique this wine is. So right now, uh, and shout out to Yardin, um, which is a lovely little place to grab wine in the Richmond area. It's one five two zero West Main Street. It's the basement suite. You actually have to enter the place underneath a flight of steps on the front of the building. Um, but they do have a nice little outdoor seating area. And it's it's lovely there. Their staff is very knowledgeable, very kind. That's where we got that Bordeaux that we had for our Bordeaux episode from. Which was also just lovely. Yes. Um, but they were kind enough to provide us with the Henriques and Henriques Madeira Vino Wine, a Verdello, which is 10 years old. So this is going to be our special reserve. Although it doesn't have special reserve written anywhere on the bottle. 
a lot of times Madeira will be labeled with 5, 10, 15. And you're just supposed to kind of In lieu of, yeah. So, but we do have this special reserve. And what do we think about this? What don't we think about? Well, we don't think bad things about this. We we don't think bad things about this at all. So, I mean, the nose alone is so prominent. You can smell this like three feet away from your glass. In point of fact, I I did. When I was first just, I was just swirling it and just took a deep breath. And it was like, oh, hello, we're already here. Yeah. So this one, um... I mentioned smoky as kind of a characteristic of Verdello, and I would say it's not super prominent, but there's a little bit of a kind of like a struck flint mineral quality that does mm. read a little smoky to me. Yeah. What I really get though is like I could see cherry wood. Mm-hmm, yeah. Um, what I really get though is like concentrated dry candied orange peel and lemon peel, like those very yeah. densely concentrated citrus oils almost. I think you hit it quite correctly on that. Yeah. It's, that's a perfect description of this. It's so dense and so rich. It does have that kind of sweeter aroma to it, but it's also very citrusy and very tangy. Yes. Mm-hmm. A little bit of almost like a tangerine yeah. kind of tartness to it. Also uh, notes of, I would say, just a little bit of a little bit of chocolate. Mm-hmm. Um, a dash, yeah. A dash of chocolate. Like milk chocolate, not like super dark. It lingers quite a bit. I yeah. mean, this just stays on your tongue. That All of that richness is really well balanced out by the acidity. It gives it this lift. Your mouth is watering the entire time that it's inside. It, it just washes over and lifts up the experience of the wine. So yeah. there's there's no heaviness to it. You get the richness more on the nose than the palate itself. And I, I want to point out, because I mentioned Verdello is the lowest acid out of all these grapes. This is still a high acid wine. Like this is still like this will make your mouth pucker up a little bit. Yeah. It also has um, that walnutty, pecan, nutty mm-hmm. thing going on as well. And like you said, that lasting power on the palate is eternal. Yeah. We've gone past everlasting we have gone to eternal Eternal. (laughs) i will be tasting this until the day i die do you want to sip eternity (laughs) i mean it really is amazing like uh just 10 years of heat yeah i mean this is cooked wine which is normally a fault but they have found a way to make it uh, incredible okay so what we need to do is i'm going to go back to yardine uh, which is spelt by the way j-a-r-d-i-n if you are trying to look them up and I'm going to bring back the empty bottle and be like, hey, uh, can I exchange this? Because I think it might be cooked. <laughs> just, to, just to see what their reaction is. Can you imagine? Oh, I, I think. What what would you have done if someone, when you were selling wine, what if someone had done that to you? What would you have done? Oh, no, it would have broken the uh, connection between the two hemispheres of my brain. <laughs> <laughs> like, it would have been like that scene from Scanners. Your head just would have. <laughs> just, yeah, just gone. But I had a lot of people when I was working at the wine shop come in and just completely not understand the product that they were buying, which is fine. It's just when you you come in so confidently, even if you're super friendly about it, and somebody does know and has hardwired stuff in, I sometimes was speechless. And that's what I'm hoping for. I'm hoping for speechless. I think they'd probably ask you to never step foot in the shop again. Oh, God, I hope not. I like that place. (laughs) It's such a pleasant atmosphere, too. So we've talked about now Madeira, what it is, how it came to be, some of the geography of the island that it sits on in the middle of the archipelago of four islands. We've also talked about production methods, how we end up imbuing this 
grape this product with these specific characteristics and we've talked about the grapes themselves yes is there anything that you wanted to add yes but it's unrelated because i forgot to put this in the intro so um i just wanted to say we are on a different recording setup and um the natural wine episodes sound a little bit rough i haven't edited the liquor versus liqueur episode yet which will be out by the time this is published but if that one also sounds really echoey I apologize. We have tried to uh, limit that in this setup. We've uh, added a blanket. Uh, yeah, I, but... I literally brought over a wire mesh container and just put a put a blanket over it to try and reduce some of that echo. And I'm also trying very hard to <laughs> talk low. Yes. So uh, <laughs> apologies if that was distracting for you, but just know we're trying our best to fix it. Yeah. Um, thank you guys for your patience. Uh, and again, thank you guys for being with us while we discuss this topic. Um, this was entirely new for me. I'd never had any experience on this before, so it's been a ton of fun being able to research this. But thank you guys so much for joining us. Indeed. In our next episode, we are going to be talking about port wines, Yes, um, which is another type of uh, fortified wine, I believe. And we're going to be getting into some of that. Maybe we'll even have a future wine tasting because this uh, Madeira definitely is our budget for the next five years. Yes. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, but again, thank you guys so much for joining us. If you haven't already done so, please do follow us on Instagram and Twitter so you can be updated on when we're going to be releasing our episodes, uh, as well as any events, interviews, or hot takes that we might be formulating. So I've been Michael. I have been Gabe. Cheers. Cheers. It was aggressive, but it was a it was a good aggressive. <laughs>